Hey, if you're uh, visiting today, uh, we are normally in there, not out here, number one. Uh, I'm Reese. I'm the executive pastor. Our senior pastor is always away on these kind of weekends. <laughs> I think he actually planned it that way, right? Uh, but if you are visiting, we're thrilled that you're here. And uh, over in the corner here is our guest services. And if you want to go there afterwards and we have a gift that we would love to give you just to welcome you. Uh, we're thrilled that you're here and if we can answer any questions about our church, uh, we would love to do that. Hey, just as in the first service, there is something that happens where when we're in a place that we're out of our comfort zone, we tend to have an opportunity to engage with the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you today that as we sit in this you know, sticky atmosphere and we're not where we normally are, that there might just be the opportunity that today is somewhat unforgettable. But I mean that in a way that God would visit you and the word that I have to share, that you may in fact look back at July 10th, 22, and say, this was where God spoke to me. I heard his voice and the trajectory and breakthrough of my life happened when we were having a service in the lobby and not in the worship center. But that's up to you guys. This is an opportunity for you to lean in and to hear and receive from the Holy Spirit. He may speak to you and convict you about something totally different than what I'm speaking about. But if you would be receptive, I know that these tend to be the environments where we hear God's voice in our lives and our circumstances, and I pray that be true for you today. It certainly was in our first service. Thanks again for uh, your grace and your patience. Thanks for not turning around just because the power was off. You came and decided to be here, and your presence matters because we gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get to encourage one another on in our stories. So thank you for being here. Last week, who was here last week? Great. Uh, we introduce you to our brand new youth pastor, Tanner Rigdon, over here. And uh, Tanner delivered a great message. Today, I want to dive into the last chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews is a book I enjoy because it's generally, essentially talking about Christians living out their faith, practicing the principles of being a follower of Jesus, not just talking about it or learning about it, but living it out. And what I'm going to talk about today comes from exactly the same place that the writer wants us to get active, to get out of the bleachers and into the game. I want to talk about living out a Christian principle, a practice, a, a discipline, if you will, that we often don't think about as a principle or a discipline. Generally, we're not good at this. Uh, I'm not particularly good at this. And so it's easy not to think about this as a spiritual practice. It's easy for us not to acknowledge it as we should. But it is, however, a central and a critical practice in the Christian faith. Although we don't prioritize it, it is a biblical command. 
Although we don't give it often the importance that we should, it is a biblical mandate in our lives as a spiritual discipline, something that we should be living out. When I was growing up, my mother had a subscription to one of those um, home and garden beautiful magazines, you know the ones I'm talking about? And she would dive into the articles there and come up with these weird and wonderful projects that she reads in the magazine. Then she would get my brothers and I together and we would be sent to the garden to, to make the garden look like the magazine picture that she was reading, right? So this one particular day, uh, she gets all into this article that talks about if you don't have a guest room in your house but you have a garage, you could take your garage and convert it into a guest room that could also convert back to a garage and you could call it a garoom. <laughs> this is a ridiculous idea. But my mum jumps headfirst into this idea. She gets cut to size carpet to lay down in our garage. We repaint the walls. She gets window dressings uh, for the window. We get a, a pull-out sofa uh, bed, the whole thing, and we make this into a guest room. Now, one of the walls in a garoom is a moving wall. Now, the magazine carefully pictures the three walls, you know, the one with the window, you know, the end wall, the one with the door that leads into the hallway of the house, but they don't do the picture that is the garage door, okay? So uh, my auntie and uncle are coming from Melbourne to stay with us, it's about a six hour drive, and my mum is all excited because she's gonna put her sister and brother-in-law up in the you know, inaugural release of the garoom, right? This garage that is now a guest suite, right? And uh, so they come in uh, late at night, and it's about 10 o'clock, and they make their way, and my mum, with absolute pride, opens the door and sends them into their new guest room. She's very proud, and soon my uncle and aunt uh, get off to sleep. Well, that night, my dad's alarm goes off at about 2 a.m. It was a Saturday night rolling into a Sunday, and the next day at church, we had a big baptismal service, and my dad was scheduled to go at 2 a.m. to the church to put on the hot water for the baptistry. Now, uh, the car is parked in the driveway, and in those days, uh, the garage remotes were like the size of a cell phone. And the best place to put it, you couldn't put it on your visor like we do today, the best place to put it was actually uh, underneath the emergency handbrake. So as my dad gets in the car, you can, you can follow along where I'm going here, it's okay. My dad releases the emergency handbrake and presses the red button of the garage door. The one wall in the guest suite that moves. My aunt and uncle are asleep in bed when one of the walls of their bedroom lifts over the top of them and they're exposed entirely to the street. <laughs> a garoom is a ridiculous idea. This was the first and last time we converted our garage to be a guest suite, and it was also the last time that my auntie and uncle came and stayed with us. <laughs> I want to, as I said, be in the last chapter of Hebrews, and 
Although we're in the lobby and, and out on the patio, I wonder for reverence of God's word if I could ask if we could stand to our feet if you're able to. And I want to read from Hebrews, the 13th chapter, starting in verse 1. It reads, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own bodies. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money be satisfied with what you have, for God has said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. You may be seated, this is the word of the Lord. All through scripture, hospitality is a central theme. It's essential to our following of Jesus. But often, we think of hospitality as a really extravagant hotel, or a resort, or an extravagant restaurant, or you know, dinner parties like a Joanne Gaines would put on. But that is actually the opposite of what was meant by hospitality in ancient Bible times. Our problem is that hospitality is often in conflict in this day and age, our day of aggressive post-Christian values. These values can most likely be traced back to the Enlightenment movement of the 18th century through Europe that heavily influenced America and the Western world and elevated the value of individual above family, above community, and above tradition. This was a major shift in the culture and the value system of the day, and this was the time when in the West, individualism was birthed. We now believe the happiness and rights of the individual is the highest value in our society. It should take priority over tradition, community, and over family. And so the individual's rights are of paramount importance. So we have to wrestle with this is not in alignment with the value system of the scriptures. We're challenged with a question, do we follow, do we be influenced and guided by Western enlightenment or guided and influenced by the word of God? In verse two, it said, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers for by doing so, some of you have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. To understand this text in verse two, is, is a reference to hospitality in first century that you would invite into your home. This was hospitality. And hospitality to angels is a specific reference on three occasions in the Old Testament where Abraham, Gideon, and Manoah invited strangers and guests without realizing it, they were literally entertaining angels. In the New Testament, the word for hospitality in the Greek is philoxena, and philoxena comes from a compound of love and stranger. Hospitality has its origin literally in the love 
of the outsider. First century, to invite into your home had a travel component to it. See, in the first century, it was not like today. Today, we can literally travel anywhere in the world in a 24-hour period. We can travel there and have confidence that there'll be a hotel that we can stay at, or like no other time in human history, our relational networks spread throughout the globe. This was not so in the first century. In the first century, to travel was physically demanding, it was extremely dangerous, and it was unusual if you knew anyone at all outside your immediate region where you lived. There were some inns, but not hotels like we know them today. So to be a first century traveler, you relied on a stranger's hospitality to welcome you in, that they would operate with the traveler's code. The traveler's code in ancient Bible times had four parts to it. First was the invitation. You as a traveler would go out to the city gates and you would wait there, waiting for someone to approach you and ask you if you are a traveler and invite you to come to their home. So the first element to the traveler's code was an invitation. The second was screening. If you were a, a traveler in the first century, you would carry some letters of recommendation, similar to what we do in job interviews today with references and so forth. So a family could know that you weren't a spy or that you weren't gonna harm the household. Third was provision. If you invited someone in, the expectation or the responsibility would be as you invited them, you would provide enough food to feed them and a place for them to have a restful night's sleep. And lastly, to the code, is departure. Traveler's Code had a two-day stranger departure time. This was not like the open-ended invitation of friends and family in the first century. Like, I can tell you that when my mother-in-law comes over from Australia, it's generally not an open-ended invitation. I need... <laughs> I don't think this is going online. Maybe it is. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Um, so family and friends was open-ended, but for travelers it was, it was two days, and you would hope that someone would extend an invitation and hospitality to you. And hospitality had a really high value in the first century because of this. And the people group that was most known for inviting strangers into their home, the people group that was most known for inviting travelers to stay with them were Christians. Christians in the first century knew the principle that God called you to welcome strangers, for once upon a time, you were a stranger to God. See, what caused hospitality to be ratcheted up higher than any other ancient culture was there's this aspect, a principle from God that you are to welcome in and care for your own, meaning the orphan and the widow and the poor and under-resourced, but you were also to welcome in those who are the stranger. No other culture had a value quite the same as Christians in the first century. And this is 
really important for us to understand in the biblical narrative, what happened in the first century was as Christians went out to the city gates or maybe they went to uh, the drinking well and found a stranger there and invited them in, they were given the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ and this in the first century is how the gospel was spread. Christians inviting strangers into their homes Then when you get to the New Testament, hospitality takes on another expression, another addition, if you will. If I was to ask you this morning, if you could name a handful of elements of the gospel, things that, that make up the gospel, justify and explain how your heart and life has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think few of you, if any, would include food. Food. To understand hospitality in the text today, to fully apply it to our day and age, we need to look at the practice of eating together. In the first century, there was no such thing as a drive-through restaurant. When is the last time you've invited someone into your home to eat? When is the last time you invited someone out to dinner? Well, let me flip that question. When is the last time you ate alone? You see, we need to get deliberate about eating with others so the kingdom is demonstrated in our lives. See, the writer of Hebrews is all about activating our faith, demonstrating that we are different than this culture. And one of the prime central elements to the gospel is food. Theologian Tim Chester writes, Jesus is handing out God's party invitations. They read, You're invited to my party in the new creation. Come as you are. The religious leaders agreed that there was a party and an invitation and even that it was possible to attend. But what the religious leaders passed out the invitations, they didn't say come as you are. They said you've got to get changed, you've got to get cleaned up and as a result, people didn't come because they didn't think that they were good enough. And this is how the Pharisees took away the key of knowledge, the grace of the gospel. Maybe some of the most powerful, beautiful words of the gospel message is that the invitation from God comes with these words, come as you are. And the religious leaders and teachers of the law in the first century, and too often, we encounter them in the 21st century, have removed the power of those words, come as you are. And the gospel invitation is taken to a place of you need to change and get cleaned up and then God will accept you. God's invitation is come as you are. If I was to ask you when was the, the, the time when you felt most honored when, when someone displayed hospitality to you in a place that it just humbled you. For me, I think about uh, being invited to someone's really nice house, and you know, those houses where you, you, you step in the front door and go, 
wow, to have money, <laughs> right? Or a really extravagant restaurant that I've been taken to and where the service was just five star. But that's not actually in the forefront of my mind of where I've been most humbled by the demonstration of hospitality is actually in 2013 when I first traveled to the Dominican Republic. Now, let me just pause here and say right off the top, so much of the undeveloped world, the third world, has much to teach us about what it means to have hospitality and to focus on the people and not our stuff. So 2013 was the first time I, I led a missions team to the Dominican, and I've uh, led several teams since then and partnered with six churches, and this is the first trip I took in 2013, and I landed in Santo Domingo, and I traveled about three hours along the coast uh, to a small coastal village, and I met a pastor there, uh, Pastor Pedro, and for some of the that can see the screens, uh, that's Pastor Pedro and Anerta, his wife. And behind, you'll see their really humble house. I would kind of more think it's like a tin shack. And he invited me immediately in, and we sat down on folded chairs, on a folded table in the one room in the shack. And what I didn't know is before I arrived, Pastor Pedro uh, went and spoke to three fishermen that are part of his congregation. And he asked them if they would go out that morning and catch fresh fish because they have an honored guest coming for lunch. I had no idea. He also went and spoke to a dozen of the women in the congregation and told them the same thing and said, would you come and, and prepare a feast for we have an honored guest coming to eat with us. I had no idea. And I sat down to a meal on a styrofoam plate with plastic silverware and I was so incredibly humbled that these people gave their very best to, to me. They treated me as an honored guest. Now, Pastor Pedro didn't know at the time, nor will he ever know, that I don't care for seafood. And with Diet Coke in one hand, I washed down an entire fish. <laughs> but I did it because of their honor code, right? We, we stayed at this table and talked well into the afternoon of the goodness of God and what God's doing in their church. And I was incredibly humbled, so if you ask me, hey, give us an example of when hospitality was demonstrated to you. I wouldn't talk about an extravagant American restaurant. I'd take your mind's eye to the Dominican. I'll tell you about them. You know, in a couple of weeks, uh, we're sending our first New Hope team to the Dominican, and uh, our missions pastor, uh, Pam Watson, is leading the team, and a couple of months ago, uh, we had a chance to go down and meet a, a new church, a new pastor. Uh, the church is called uh, Central Church of Jehovah Nissi. 
Jehovah Nissi, translated in English, is the Lord is my banner. That's a cool name for a church. And we arrived, and Pastor Ezekiel, the senior pastor, immediately took us where? To the dining table. And again, he had sent people ahead of us to put on a feast because they had honored guests coming. And we sat and talked for hours about uh, what God was doing in their church. Well, later in the afternoon, Pastor Ezekiel took Pam and I to their worship center, and at their worship center, he started to tell us a story. And through the interpreter, I don't speak English, but I speak body language, I knew that this was something to lean in and to listen to the pastor. He said that he had just called the church to a 30-day prayer and fast, and that they would be praying for a couple of significant, specific things. But then he paused, and Pam and I looked at each other. We knew something was coming, and he said, the last three days of the 30-day fast, I called the church to not only go without food, but to go without water. Church, I've done some long prayer fasts in my life. I've never done one without water. So Pastor Ezekiel went on to say, these were the two things that we were praying for, that we called the church to a 30-day of prayer and fasting. He said, firstly, we, we have a dream to do a vacation Bible school for 400 kids in our province. We, we want to feed them uh, a meal every day for six days. That would be the only meal that they receive that day, 400 kids. And we want to give them backpacks and school supplies to set them up for the new school year. But we don't have the resources as a church to do that. So we're praying and fasting. And the second thing is, we, we have a dream to build three shower blocks, have a, a toilet, a basin, and a shower, and they'd be the first three shower blocks in all of the village. But we don't have the resources to do that. So I called my congregation to pray and fast for 30 days that God would send a church that would come and partner with us, not to give us a hand out, but to give us a hand up. Seven days after the 30-day prayer and fast, Pam and I stood in front of Pastor Ezekiel representing you guys, New Hope Church, asking if we could be the answer of that prayer and be the church that could come and partner with them. So because of your generosity, we have fully funded already the VBS program that will feed 400 kids in over a six-day period. Six-day period, teach them the Word of God and share the gospel with them. And because of your generosity, we have fully funded the three shower blocks that they were praying for. And so the team that goes down in two weeks will work alongside Dominicans to do the VBS and also a construction team uh, to build those shower blocks. And their answer of their prayer for their 30-day fast will come to fruition in two weeks' time because of New Hope Church. Isn't that cool?
They have a, uh, a huge baseball ministry. If you know anything about the Dominican, in the culture, they believe one of their ways out is through baseball to try and make the major leagues and move to the US. So baseball is huge and it's, and it's everywhere. In this small village, uh, they currently have a major league player uh, in Seattle Mariners, the Detroit Tigers, and a New York Yankee from this little village. It's legit. So I asked Pastor Ezekiel, what's, what's one thing that we could bring? And he said, baseballs. He said, these kids have never played with a new baseball. Most of them never played with a baseball with the leather intact. I said, how do you play? He said, we wrap it in duct tape. So I said, if I was to ask our church, New Hope, to collect baseballs, that's the number one thing that we could bring. And you could feel the emotion in his yes. So, for the next two Sundays, if you would like to activate your faith and be part of an answer of prayer of a 30-day fast... We are collecting baseballs, baseball gloves, and baseball bats. If they're in your attic collecting dust in your garage, if you want to go out to a department store and buy them, it doesn't matter what size, uh, we're going to bless them uh, on behalf of New Hope and the kingdom of God that we are brothers and sisters in the family of God. Do you want to be part of that? Yeah. Pam Watson is over here if you want to <laughs> connect with her afterwards. Our relationship with Pastor Ezekiel immediately began at the table around food. There is something in the busyness of our schedules, in the way that we live in our Western culture, we lose the power of food and it's central to the gospel. It's central to being a follower of Jesus. It's to understand there is power in the food at the table. That as we gather around, not as individuals, but as a community, that we do this around food. So I want to give you five quick things to help live this out because if you look through the Gospels, particularly in Luke's account, Jesus is either heading to a meal He's at a meal or he's coming from a meal. Think about it. Think about the parables of Jesus. How much of them are around him sitting at someone's house eating? At one point, he was preaching and people didn't have what? Food. So he grabbed some fish and some bread. He calls out Zacchaeus and says, I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight. Jesus knew the power of gathering around the table. And I believe we have to reenact this in our lives, to reawaken it in our Western life. We are not called in the scriptures to the drive-through experience. It's not in the scriptures, friends. So the first thing, five quick things. First thing, eat together. In biblical community, to be more like Jesus, we should be eating together together more. Let me say this again, because it's so elementary. To be more like Jesus, we should be eating together more. 
Two, be spontaneous. So much of our life, we serve our calendar. Our calendar should serve us. So much of hospitality can happen in the margins if we were only open for it. Divine encounters and, and God working through us in hospitality can happen if we would just open ourselves to the margins. The writer of Hebrews says, you entertained angels and you weren't aware of it. I don't think I've ever entertained an angel in a drive through restaurant. Probably not. Allow spontaneity to not hinder your hospitality. Third, fund it. Unlike the culture we live in, the scriptures demonstrate that if God has entrusted you with money, he's given it to you to build human community. The expression of heaven here on earth. Our resources, just like our Dominican brothers and sisters, get it right do you know that a lot of the undeveloped world pray for the Western church? They pray for us because they know that we have stuff. They, they pray for us, they pray for you and I because they understand the distraction of our stuff in our Western lives. They use their resources to, to buy food and then they gather people around the table when you pay the bill at the restaurant, you're enacting the kingdom of God. You should be fighting over the bill. Christians should pay, and we should tip well. The so money from God is not for our own comfort. It's to expand his kingdom. Four, invite to your home. Author David Mathis writes, in a progressively post-Christian society, the importance of hospitality as an evangelistic asset is growing rapidly. Increasingly, the most strategic turf on which to engage the unbelieving with the good news of Jesus may be the turf of our own homes. There is something powerful when someone invites you to their home. There is an honor code when you receive an invitation to come to someone's house. Lastly, invite to your spiritual home. Not just church services, but to your faith community. Your life groups, discipleship classes, the Alpha course, any kind of compassion projects that we're doing. Invite people to come and then offer to have them over at your house for a meal afterwards or go out and eat and, and fund it. A few years back, I was leading a church service a regular Sunday, and we got to the time in the service where I invited people to stand up and move around the room and greet one another. And this particular day, there was a young couple uh, by the name of Chris and Kelly, and they, had, they were newlywed, young couple, first time they had come to the church, and they didn't know a single soul. And at this particular time of the turn and greet, uh, an older couple near retirement, Jim and Merrilee, turned around and engaged with Chris and Kelly, introduced themselves, and Jim said to Chris, are you new here? And Chris said, yeah, this is our first Sunday. He said, do you have lunch plans? Would you like to have lunch with us? And so the four of them went out to lunch after church. Well, at the end of lunch, Merrilee said to Kelly, uh, 
We have a life group that happens at our home on Thursday nights. Uh, are you guys busy this Thursday night? Would you like to come along to our home? There's a, uh, an older couple to a younger couple, and Chris and Kelly went along on that Thursday night. Well, their relationship grew in, in such a way that when Chris and Kelly uh, got into a bit of a rough patch in their marriage, they turned to Jim and Merrily for marriage advice. And when Chris and Kelly uh, welcomed their first son, Jackson, it was Jim and Merrily who were first at the hospital and first to babysit so Chris and Kelly could go on a date night. They became pseudo-godparents to Chris and Kelly's three children. A couple of years ago, Chris was talking to me and he said, Pastor Reese, don't ever underestimate the power of the greeting and the fellowship that happens at church because some people, this is the first contact they've had all week. He said, that day that Jim and Merrily turned around and invited us to lunch, uh, uh, an older couple to a younger couple, that day changed our lives. The power of an invitation. Today, I wonder who you'll invite to lunch. I know that you came here and you haven't planned to invite someone to lunch. But then you heard this message where the Hebrew writer is calling you to live out your faith and the power of food in the gospel and now you feel like maybe I should invite someone to lunch. If you are single here today, this is the greatest service you've been at. But imagine if all of us enacted the power of food in the gospel. As a spiritual discipline, we should not be eating alone. I get that this is countercultural to the West. I get that we're busy doing what, people? We have to, as followers of Jesus, pick up the power that is the table. Now what's interesting in the gospel message is to understand, and the Hebrew writer gets to this, in, in doing a contrast of Jesus' life and biblical hospitality. Listen to this. Later on in this chapter, verse 12, it says, So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates, to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him. Remember the stranger? Let us go outside the camp. Jesus was on the inside, literally on the inside of the city, and he was taken outside to be killed. The opposite of biblical hospitality he took on himself ultimately what we deserved. We deserve to be cast out, left in the cold, forsaken by the city gates in exile because of our sin. But on the cross, it was Jesus who was cast out. On the cross, on the outskirts of the city, Jesus took on our punishment. He died to make room for you and I at the banquet table of the king. 
the greatest feast that we will ever experience. It's a day where one day we sit down with a seat that has been paid with a price, with your name on it, a seat with my name on it, at the banquet of the king. We are invited to come to the table just as you are. The invitation of the gospel message, the language that God chooses to use is that of a banquet, that of us being invited to sit at a table at a feast. Friends, we've got to understand the power of the table and coming around and eating together. If you're able to, would you stand to your feet? As you do, I want to remind you that God is for you. That you have never been more loved than you are right now because the one who knows you best loves you most. I want to say a quick prayer and I want to pray for two quick things. One, I want to pray that God would drop into your hearts and minds a name of someone who you know is lonely, someone you know who's estranged, someone you know that you need to extend an invitation for a meal. And the second is that you would have a divine appointment that can't be excused away like a Jim and Merrily had with Chris and Kelly that day. That God would use you as you extend an invitation to someone that may be a stranger to become a friend and to be powerfully impacted by the power of the gospel. So let's go to God. So Heavenly Father, you have heard me say these words, and so now I repeat them, that your Holy Spirit would move our hearts and minds and drop names right now of lonely people. Holy Spirit, that you would, even as I speak, convict us to reach out to and to invite for a meal this week, to invite to a meal today. Father, I pray as you continue your activity on earth, as you do it through our faith community, would you bring divine appointments, appointments that are infused with the power and presence of the Holy Spirit into our lives that people would cross paths, that we would sense the nudging and the prompting of the Holy Spirit to invite someone to eat with. And I ask that you would do this so the kingdom would be further established in our hearts and our lives. And I ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.